How do you battle through tough days? That's yes. uh, that's that's a great question. I think that there's uh, uh, a, a few things that we can do. In fact, this is uh, part of what I'm writing about in my next book, Indistractable. Nice. Uh, I, I think that you know it depends what do you call a tough day. Let's 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 start with that. Uh, I'll tell you what a tough day uh, can look like to me. And a tough day to me is when I get distracted. Is when I don't do what I wanted to do. That I didn't spend my time in the way that I, I most wanted to. And and I think this is a, a very common problem today. Uh, I mean, I, part of the reason I wrote Hooked in the first place was because I saw how difficult it was for me to stop using my devices. <laughs> like when I wanted to write, I would find you know myself, oh, I'll just Google this or I'll email that. Right. Uh, when I really wanted to write, when I was with my family, I would get distracted. Right. Like my poor little girl saw so much of me looking at my phone. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's embarrassing and it's terrible. And so that was a big part of, of uh, why I, I, I wrote, got interested in Hooked and why I'm, I, I'm working on Indistractable now. So I, I a terrible day to me is when I, I don't spend my time the way I would like to spend my time. Now, that's a that's a very big difference than I think how, how I used to describe a bad day, which was, oh, I didn't get anything done. Uh, it, they're related, but they're not the same thing. And I think a big mistake that people make is that they, they schedule their day based on what they want to get done, right? Of course you do, right? Sure. But that's actually wrong. <laughs> it's wrong to schedule your day based on output. Instead, you should schedule your day based on input. And the only input you can control is your attention and your time. Welcome to the Habits to Goals podcast with Martin Grunberg. It's time to take control of your life. Are you ready to achieve goals faster and more consistently than ever before? You need the habit factor. You're listening to Habits to Goals, the podcast that helps you create the habits that lead to success. And here is Martin Grumberg. All righty, here we go. Welcome back. Thank you for joining me. My name is Martin Grunberg. You have reached Habits to Goals. Today we have just a phenomenal guest, a guy I've been <laughs> basically hunting down. He is, for lack of a better way to describe it, a, a habit guy. He's really a fantastic thought leader. Um, when it comes to habit, he comes from this background. He he describes his work as living at the intersection, which I love near, of technology and psychology. So welcome to the show, Nir A.L., best-selling author of the book Hooked. How you doing, Nir? I'm doing great, Martin. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Hey, it's, like I said, it's an honor. It's probably long overdue. I think when I reached out to you, you know, I, I had explained that uh, coincidentally, or perhaps not, you and I both shared some time on Aiden's podcast. Um, and so that got me scurrying to do a bit more research and learn about more of what you're doing. And then I got hooked, so to speak. And I was like, I got to talk to Nir. So here we are again. Thank you for joining me. I believe, and I should say us, I believe you know how we kick off the show with what we call the GTR, the Good Things Report. Now, as the guest, you can either kick off or defer to me. Sure, I'm happy to kick off, actually. So what's uh, what's my good thing to report is that uh, next week is the Habit Summit, which I am thrilled about. It's like... Uh, uh, the holidays and New Year's and uh, April Fool's Day all rolled into one. It's just like a great fun day for me. And my birthday all rolled into one. Uh, we have this big conference every year that we do in San Francisco. And so that's next week, uh, April 10th through 12th. And so that's what I'm really excited about because it's been a long time coming. This is the fifth year we've done it. And uh, we're really looking forward to it. It's a great conference. That is phenomenal. I didn't realize it... <laughs> It's going off next week. Of course, I probably should have known that. I was thinking um, it was a bit more off in the future, but maybe and, – and I should back up and say happy birthday. <laughs> so you got a lot of good things going on. Um, so April 10th, and that would be what next – is that next? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. 
right? well, San Francisco. I'm going to bump this up in the queue and do uh, my best to get this out next Wednesday. I should say our best. Um, and then that way, hopefully, as the episode floods into the Bay Area, we we drag a few more people, point a few more people to your uh, convention. So that's or I conference. That's yeah. amazing. Fantastic. And it, and it happens every year. So if you miss it one year, it'll be back the next year. Yeah. And I want, hopefully we'll talk more about that as we come around to the back end of the show. All right. Well, my GTR, and this is weird. I'm sure there's some hooked relationship. In fact, I know there is because <laughs> it, it's related to something I saw on Facebook and follow me here i so i pull up facebook and there's a quote and i actually pulled it up here it says sitting peacefully doing nothing spring comes and the grass grows all by itself and the reason this is a gtr is that was something i shared in 2010 that i thought was very meaningful and near what it at the time, what it was is was a great reminder to relax and to do things like to meditate. And I just love that saying, sitting peacefully, doing nothing, spring comes and the grass grows all by itself. So if if you or the listener were to go about four episodes back, I I came across I tripped upon this book called <laughs> it it's just kind of it's just totally bizarre. I ran across it, but it's called The Lazy Way to Success. And the author is Fred Granson. And the long and short of that is since that interview, my practice of meditation has absolutely taken on a whole entire new level. And so I'm upwards of about probably an hour a day. And it's just been absolutely phenomenal. And so seeing this quote that I posted eight years ago, because it's, you know, Mm. it was one of those on this day memories. um, It reminded me that I once really understood the value and I kind of lost it over time. And in any event, it's, that's my GTR. I'm, I am, (laughs) I am hooked (laughs) <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, good. good. I'm, I'm glad you know that Facebook is still good for something. Right. <laughs> yes. So, out of format, are you using Facebook? I still use Facebook. Okay. I've, I've changed how I use Facebook for several years now. I uh, I don't have Facebook on my phone. I don't think it's necessary to have it on my phone, and I, I found it distracted me more than it served me. Sure. So I don't. I no longer have it on my phone, but I do use it on my desktop. And in fact, I uh, I'm working on this new book. The follow up to Hooked is this book I'm working on called Indistractable, which is all about how do we how do we manage distraction? How do we put uh, distraction in its place so that it serves you know so that these technology these tools serve us as opposed to us serving them? Uh, because that was so much of the feedback that I got after Hooked was awesome. This is great. Now I can build this product that I, I want to build a healthy habit in my user's life. But by the way, these other products keep hooking me, and what do I do about that? Um, so, so that's what this book is all about. And so, one of my tips in the book is to, uh, you know, to evaluate these products and ask yourself if, if they're really serving you. And so, Facebook was one of those products that does serve me. I like Facebook. I just don't like it all the time, and I like it, you know, under a certain uh, at a certain time of day uh, when, when I choose to use it, as opposed to when the when when the, when Facebook wants me to use it. Well, so absolutely brilliant. The, it, I mean, what a perfect compliment. On one hand, you have hooked, and and we're going to get into that and and the 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 your take on the habit loop, which I love. And then you have indistractable, and it's just the yin and yang. So I'm excited to hear about that. Um, but before we get into and. I fully want to. I kind of want to go back and get some of the backstory, if if you don't mind. So, take us back near to, I don't know, where'd you go to high school and college, <laughs> and you grew up, and and give us a little of that. Yeah. 
Well, I'll give you the very short version uh, so we can get to the interesting part. But I grew up in Orlando. I was born in Israel. I moved to Orlando, Florida when I was three years old. Mm. Uh, and then I went to school at Emory and then I started, a, 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 I did consulting for a few years and then I started my first tech company in the renewable energy space and then sold that, went to Stanford for business school, uh, started another company, sold that, and then started writing about this hypothesis I had that habits were really going to matter for the future of technology. And this was around 2011, 2012. Uh, and so I had this front row seat at my last company, which we started in 2008, watching the Facebook ecosystem explode and watching apps come to fruition on the iPhone. When we started our last company, you know, there was no such thing as apps on the, on the phone. It was apps on Facebook that people were talking about. And so I had this front row seat to see how uh, products are designed uh, to be things that people engage with, right? So I was at the intersection of gaming and advertising. And these are two industries that, let's face it, are dependent upon changing your behavior. They have to specialize in mind control. Advertisers you know, they don't spend all that money for their health. Uh, game designers know exactly how to get you to progress in the game and make it engaging. And so I, I, I kind of immerse myself in those two worlds after I've worked in those industries uh, to understand the deeper psychology. So that's when I started doing a lot of research with, with people at Stanford and uh, during the time when all these social media companies were, uh, were starting to really catch their stride. Uh, I had a front row seat and I got to talk to a lot of people who made these products and services to understand the deeper psychology behind how these products uh, change our behavior and how these best of breed companies, you know, how do they do it was my question. What is it that makes Facebook so habit forming and Twitter and Instagram and Slack and WhatsApp? You know, what is it about these guys? And so that's really the focus of my work in my first book was really all about understanding the deeper psychology, not so that they would benefit. Of course, you know, I didn't help those companies become what they are. I just took the lessons from those companies to help the rest of us, right? My, my hypothesis was that everybody who's building a product or service can use these same techniques. You know, why should it just be the, the video game companies and Facebook that, that, that figures out how to get us to, to do certain things? Why can't it be, you know, fitness apps and apps that help you save money and, and uh, uh, technology products that we use at work and things that we use to connect with family and loved ones? You know, all of these products can be made better using these techniques from behavioral design. And so that's really been the focus of my work over the past several years. <laughs> so, and, and what a fantastic synopsis. Um, you covered so much ground right there. I, I kind of, so you, you were, <laughs> and, and I know that's by design, but I like to dig in a little. So, so sure. pardon me for some questions. So you, you're born in Israel, you move out to the States at what age? Three. <laughs> Copy. And then you're in LA growing up or Orlando, you no, said? Orlando. Got Orlando. it. And and yeah. when is that where you went to high school? Yep. Okay. Sweet. And then you move out to LA and you're doing some consulting. What I love near is I saw, and I have never seen anybody do this, very creative, on your your bio on your website, you link to <laughs> the school of hard knocks. Right. Well, that's, that's where I get most of, that's where I got most of my education. Uh, you know, I could, I could say I went to Stanford and, uh, did all, you know, did all this other stuff and taught there and all that. But really where, where I got the most experience was starting companies, uh, sometimes succeeding, mostly failing. Uh, and that's where I learned the most about business. Yeah. And that's why probably I love it. Cause I'm in the same, <laughs> in the same boat of the same cloth. And so, um, you know, for me and the habit factor, and we, we haven't gone through this, but, but the reason that it's, it's most bizarre that the habit factor truly came from entirely outside the box, if you will. So, so I didn't have a degree in psychology and, and the, the connection between habits to goals, so to speak, was from the world in the school of hard knocks. So I, I love that you uh, link to that. So talk a bit about the first company. Was that the advertising or marketing or was that, that was marketing first? No, my, my very first company that I started was in the, was in the renewable energy business. Uh, this was a very long time ago, back in 2001. Nice. No, no, sorry. 2003, we started it. I love it. And then it was acquired uh, three years later. We sold the company. Wow. In what kind of renewable energy? 
Uh, this was in the solar business. Okay. Uh, so we were kind of like Solar City at the time. Solar City didn't exist. Now it's a publicly traded company that was then uh, you know, merged with Tesla. But uh, at the time, it was the same exact business model, except we were too young and, and uh, too stupid to grow it into a big business, and, <laughs> which I wish we would have done. But uh, we got a nice offer for the business and decided to sell it. Well, yeah, and it sounds like, <laughs> hey, your your current work probably doesn't exist if uh, you didn't <laughs> you didn't take that path. So that's true. That's true. Yeah. And then after, after that, then I decided to go to business school, yeah. and that's where I started the second company, which was in the advertising and gaming space. Got it. And are you at liberty to share the name of that company? Or Oh, yeah, sure. Of course. It was called Ad Nectar. And we essentially remember back in the day when, um, you know, when Facebook was brand new, people were throwing sheep around on different apps. Remember those days? Uh, you know, those, these like stupid apps that people were playing. And so what we were doing was putting advertising inside those apps. Got we it. didn't build the apps. We were just helping these guys monetize. Uh, and it was pretty amazing because we saw this, this, you know, I had this front row seat to see these companies come and go. And some of them would, you know, be installed by millions of users very, very quickly and have very high engagement. And others were just duds and, and, and suck. And so that's actually where I got really interested in the psychology of, of right. uh, how these things work. Uh, I wanted to understand, you know, how what makes some experiences so engaging and habit forming while others kind of peter out and people forget about them. And, you know, the rise of Facebook itself, uh, I was in a, a class at, at Stanford when Zuckerberg came in uh, the week after he had turned down uh, Yahoo's billion-dollar offer. And, uh, you know, it was just fascinating to see, you know, everybody, after Zuckerberg left, the professor, Andy Ratcliffe, asked the class, uh, you know, how many of you would take have taken the billion dollars and, and, and sold Facebook? And, you know, literally every... MBA's hand in the room shut up and said, yeah, of course I would have taken that billion dollars. Of course, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. now, now, you know he, Zuckerberg knew exactly what he was doing, and uh, today the company's worth about half a trillion dollars, so he, he, <laughs> good thing he didn't sell. Um, but that, you know, what, what makes, I really didn't understand, you know, what was it that made these companies so special? Why were they so habit-forming? And so that's why after that company was acquired, after Ad Nectar was sold, I kind of dedicated all my time to figuring out really what I wanted to do next. Right. Uh, and I knew that whatever it was that I did, it had to be a, a product that uh, became habit forming. It didn't exactly work out as planned because I, <laughs> I so enjoyed the research. I so enjoyed the writing right. uh, and the teaching aspect that that kind of became what I did. And I never started the next company I thought I was going to start, <laughs> but thankfully, uh, you know, people really enjoyed the book and, uh, uh, the, the blog people, you know, started subscribing to my blog and to get my articles. And so that kind of took on a life of its own. And so that's what, that's what I've been doing since then. Well, that is, <laughs> that is a beautiful segue. So let's, so, so that's the inspiration because that's where I was going. I wanted to understand what, what makes you write the book and you just beautifully explain that. So, so let's get into, you know this this habit loop, the 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 component parts of the hooked model, if you will, mm -hmm. and just kind of sure. talk through those four major components and and what's going on in your estimation there. Yeah, so so my you know I, I read uh, Charles Duhigg's Power of Habit, which I'm sure all your readers or all your yep. listeners have already read, and I was I, I really enjoyed the book. Um, uh, you know, I highly recommend it. But I was also frustrated by it because I didn't find it very practical uh, for what I wanted to do with it, right? So what I wanted to do with it was, well, how do I make my products engaging? How do I make habit-forming products? And I literally did a Google search for how to build habit-forming products, <laughs> right. and I couldn't find that book. It didn't exist. Oh, my goodness. And so so I wrote the book I couldn't find. Uh, and so that's that was the inspiration for Hook. I mean, that's the subtitle, right? Hook, how to build habit-forming products. Um, and, and I realized that there's a different model. You know, I'm sure everybody who's listening knows the, the kind of habit loop of, of a, a cue reward uh, and, and, some, and some kind of feedback. Or what, what, what is it? Cue action? Yeah, cue action reward. Sorry. Cue yep. action reward. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, which I think is, is nice for your own behavior. I mean, it's basically operating conditioning. If you think back to Pavlov or Skinner, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's what it is. Right. Uh, habits are nothing more than just another form of learning. But when it comes to products, that model is not complete. Uh, that those three steps don't explain 
how to do this stuff and why Facebook is so habit forming and why, you know, I keep mentioning Facebook, but lots of different products, right? But let's just substitute uh, technology <laughs> products, sure. uh, broadly speaking. So, um, and I think what was missing and what I added uh, to, to the model uh, was more of a how-to component in that the, the model that I described at Hooked has these four steps. And the, the first step is a trigger. Uh, but whereas, you know, triggers are generally seen as things in our environment, What's actually more important than what I call an external trigger, you know, some kind of cue, some kind of prompting in our environment, is the internal triggers, which which nobody really talks about, but I think is is absolutely critical. So, you know, when you think about how when you're uh, lonely, you know, you might check Facebook to connect with a friend. When you're uh, uncertain, you Google. When you are uh, feeling bored, you check the news or stock prices or sports scores. These aren't triggers in our outside environment, these are things that start from within. And so as a product designer, someone who's trying to create a product that's habit forming, whether it's a product or a service, you have to figure out what that internal trigger is, what that user itch is that occurs with sufficient frequency to build your habit around. It's not just that habits always have to be about external cues. Uh, it's, it's more important to figure out the internal cues so that eventually you're not checking your phone because you got a ping or a ding or some kind of external trigger. You're checking the phone just because, right? Because you felt something that you wanted to the Internal satiate. compulsion, yeah. Exactly. So boredom, loneliness, fatigue, lo- you know, uh, there's lots of internal triggers. Sure. And then the action phase is the second step of the hook, which is, which is similar to the action of you know, the typical habit loop, except I wanted to dig a little deeper and describe how the key to building the kind of products that people use habitually, one of the keys, is to make it as easy as possible to use. So this is where I cite the research of B.J. Fogg, which uh, you know, I'm not sure many folks are familiar with, where he talks about the easier something is to do, the more likely people are to do it. Right. And so if you think about the history of technology, really the, 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 uh, the, the core of all technological innovation, I don't care if it's the cotton gin to the iPhone, is about making the work easier to do. And the easier you can make something, the less friction there is to get the thing done, the more likely people are to do it. And this goes back all the way to Lewin's equation, you know, uh, way a hundred years before Fogg. Uh, but but this is the basic psychology: the easier you can make something to do, the more likely people are to do it. So how do you do that? What that, psychological factors make something difficult to do? Uh, just just to interject real quick. So that's in theory because we're energy, and energy is always looking for, you know, the easiest path, if you will. I mean, I, that sounds like it's getting a little esoteric, but, but I think there's something there. So, so absolutely, the easier the action, the more likely it is to become a habit, and habit is just a pattern of energy. So sorry to interrupt. Keep going. <laughs> no. And then the third phase that I think is, is different from the typical habit loop is variable rewards. So uh, I, I bring in uh, this idea of intermittent reinforcement that, that Skinner studied where if you give a reinforcement on a predictable schedule, you get less of a response than when you give a reinforcement on a variable schedule. So if you think about what makes an experience interesting and exciting, it's always the unknown. It's always variability, right? So if you think about the slot machine, right. uh, when you play a casino slot machine, it's the uncertainty of, you know, can I win? What, what's going to happen when this, when this machine stops spinning? Uh, when you think about sports, right? What, why are sports fun to watch? Because there's an uncertain outcome. Why are movies interesting? Well, because you don't know how the, the conflict is going to resolve. Why is Facebook interesting? Well, because it's about the news feed and it's you know scrolling and cer- scrolling through the uncertainty of what you might see next. Tinder is the same way. Twitter, Slack, Instagram, yeah, all yeah. of these products introduce this element of a variable reward, which really isn't in any kind of standard habit loop. No, and, and finally, and but oh, sorry, let, I would love to interject at this point. So that yeah. is my, <laughs> for whatever it's worth, near brilliant, and it's my favorite component. It's the one where I, and you know that <laughs> the the habit factor falls kind of all over the scale, uh, but but where it it lacks absolutely, you know, it it wins in functionality and performance and results but 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 it doesn't have any variability and so the long forthcoming facelift if you will is going to involve this variability factor which i just think is brilliant so keep going thank, thank you. you yeah no i'm glad i'm glad it's helpful uh 
Uh, and then the fourth step of the hook model is the investment phase, which you really don't see when it comes to, uh, you know, personal habits. Uh, but I think you see it all the time when it comes to product habits or service habits that what companies that form habits do is that they get the user to invest. Sure. Uh, and that increases the likelihood of the next pass through the hook. They're, so they're, the way this happens sorry. in two ways. So the first way that investment increases the likelihood of the next pass of the hook is by storing value. So every time you give a company data, content, followers, reputation, any of these things make the product better and better and better with use so that it appreciates with use. And that's a really big deal. If you think about it, everything, all the products that we use, right? If you think about your clothing, your chair, your table, your, like all of this stuff in the physical world loses value with wear and tear. It depreciates. But habit-forming products appreciate. They get better and better with use. They get more valuable because of the data, content, followers, reputation that we're giving the, these companies. So that's, that's, a, that's a, a, a paradigm shift when, when you think about it because we are co-creating these products and making them better the more we use them. And what that does is it loads the next trigger so that the next time <laughs> right. you use the product, you, you, you're, now you're getting an external trigger that prompts you through the hook once again. So for example, when you send someone a message on WhatsApp, there's no immediate gratification. That's a form of investment into the platform that loads the next trigger and prompts you with a reply when someone writes you back, prompting you to the four steps of the hook once again. So that's, that's the totality of, of the hook model. Trigger, action, reward, and investment. These four phases that form product habits. All right, a quick timeout. Again, thank you so much for joining me and Habits to Goals. I hope you are digging this interview. I want to share with you something pretty cool we've just thrown out there. You can catch this either live or recorded. It's a webinar I put on. It's about 60 minutes. It goes through nine major tips. It gives you background about the habit factor, a little bit about me, and an overview, an intro to something we have put together called the 28-Day Breakthrough. Fantastic course. Really, the goal of which is... It's the old, you don't feed a man a fish or woman, you teach them to fish. And so this is built above, beneath, around the habit factor, really gets in depth with mission, vision, values, some great modules around goals in particular, energy, the mastery mindset. Those are uh, modules that are included. Anyways, check it out. All you have to do is go to thehabitfactor.com forward slash 28. That's the number 2828 day, D-A-Y webinar. That's thehabitfactor.com forward slash 28 day webinar. You can get the info, sign up, and hopefully we'll see you on the inside. And with that, let's get back to this fantastic interview. Cheers. And and <laughs> so there's a lot here to digest, uh, hopefully not getting outside the scope of the listener, but between me and you. So the habit factor, when people have tracked their habits for four years, five years, and earlier I was saying, you know, on, on various scales, it succeeds. So that is one where the app kills it because people have been using and they're storing their, their habit tracking data for years on end. Um, and I think that is equally, uh, powerful to see how their investment, which is a perfect word, um, into the product, appreciates the product, and then is likely to create the next trigger. So, right. I, yeah. I, go ahead. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right. Yeah, anytime you're collecting data from the user to improve the product with use, that's a form of investment. So, and and a couple quick <laughs> side comments here. I love the, the power of habits. Awesome, and I met Chuck slash Charles, and and we had a good chat and. The, the challenge with the book is very similar. If you go all the way to, and I, I love the guy, I love the book, but from an application standpoint, and I don't mean a little app, I mean like, how, how do you use it? So you spent, you, you've read the book, you got 300 pages under your belt, 
and you're like, wow, this is incredible. And then in the appendix, there's just a few, there, there's a few ideas. And, yeah. um, and I honestly don't want to make the comparison, but there's just no, from my frame of reference, I don't know how else to do it. When I wrote The Habit Factor, which, by the way, came out 18 months prior to The Power of Habit, it was, <laughs> it was imperative near that, that, because I'd spent five plus years studying habit, I, I, I devoted almost half the book to the application section. And then yeah. on top of that, created an app that allows the people to apply the very theory. So I'm only bringing that up just like you. I was a bit frustrated with like, where do you take this information? So I'm, I'm just blown away that, that you had that same insight equally frustrated and I don't have a problem saying this because it's it's not tied to any artist or author the Q routine reward if we're just being friends here <laughs> is is not helpful it's perpetuated all over it's it's well I take it back it's helpful to 20% to understand that there's a Q but then to say Q routine, routine is just the action itself. And then reward, well, frankly, if I go run two miles, I, I'm not sure I, you know, need a piece of cake. I understand there's an intrinsic reward. And so with the habit factor methodology, there's something entirely different. It's called plan, act, record, and then reassess. Um, so I just find that Q routine reward because it comes out of the space of mice and rats is mm. not just like you were saying, not wonderfully applicable to humans. So that's a mm. significant detachment. When, when you, when you can plan your behavior, you perform the action, you record it, which is tracking plus notes, and then you reassess, you develop something that you just touched on without actually saying the word is habit strength. So the, mm. the recurrence of a behavior, the more often it recurs, the stronger the likelihood, the stronger the actual habit becomes. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All, all and, and by the way, I just I just want to say real quick that for yep. the record, it's I, I think Charles did a fantastic job with the book. It's a great book. It's awesome in, in that it's it whets people's appetite. But you know, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. And I think uh, you know that there there are there's more out there. Uh, then he could possibly fit in a book, or any of us could fit. He in a book. he and did so, a fan. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, so I, I'm not I, I probably book at all. In fact, yes. like it inspired me a, a tremendous amount to write my book. I just wanted to apply it to a different context, and I think uh, what what he was working on. Well, well said. Yeah, I I just I'm <laughs> very well put. The only other thing that I thought was awesome similar a uh, bit of a parallel was you said you googled how to develop habit forming products when when i went to <laughs> write the habit factor the question i googled was why do habits exist which sounds mm. nonsensical i'm sure but at the time zero it it just it didn't exist so so again <laughs> i wrote just like you i wrote the book that I think we were looking to read, which I actually yeah. hear quite a bit when I interview authors. So that brings us to, I know we're semi short on time. Um, thank you so much for sharing, you know, kind of the, the new habit loop, if you will. Um, I would like to, since in my mind, we're rounding second base here, um, kind of go off the board and just ask you in general, as, as an entrepreneur, how how do you battle through or deal with tough days? How do you battle through tough days? That's yes. uh, that's that's a great question. I think that there's uh, uh, a, a few things that we can do. In fact, this is uh, part of what I'm writing about in my next book, Indistractable. Nice. Uh, I, I think that you know it depends what do you call a tough day. Let's 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 start with that. Uh, I'll tell you what a tough day uh, can look like to me, and a tough day that, to me is when I get distracted is when I don't do what I wanted to do. I didn't spend my time in the way that I, I most wanted to. And 
And I think this is a, a very common problem today. Uh, I mean, I, part of the reason I wrote Hooked in the first place was because I saw how difficult it was for me to stop using my devices. <laughs> like when I wanted to write, I would find, you know, myself, oh, I'll just Google this or I'll email that right. uh, when I really wanted to write. When I was with my family, I would get distracted, right? Like my poor little girl saw so much of me looking at my phone. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's embarrassing and it's terrible. And so that was a big part of, of uh, why I, I, I wrote, got interested in Hooked and why I'm, I, I'm working on Indistractable now. So a, a, a terrible day to me is when I, I don't spend my time the way I would like to spend my time. Now, that's a, that's a very big difference than I think how, how I used to describe a bad day, which was, oh, I didn't get anything done. Uh, if they're related, but they're not the same thing. And I think a big mistake that people make is that they, they schedule their day based on what they want to get done, right? Of course you do, right? Sure. But that's actually wrong. <laughs> it's wrong to schedule your day based on output. Instead, you should schedule your day based on input. And the only input you can control is your attention and your time. And so what most people do with their calendar, it's, it's full of to-do lists. I need to write this PowerPoint presentation. Uh, I need to send this memo. I need to have this meeting. And it's, it's very much about the outcome from that time that you're spending. But, but there's, you know, study after study has found that humans are terrible at predicting their productivity because there's so many exogenous factors that we can't control, right? It's, yeah, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm just waiting on information from this guy and uh, I need to talk to this person. And then, you know, I'm not really sure how long it, it takes me to write uh, a, a paper or a presentation. So we're really bad at planning output, but what we can always control is attention and time. So one of the techniques that I think has really helped me have better days is to schedule out every minute of my day. And wow. it sounds crazy. And oh if you my look goodness. at my calendar, you say like, oh my God, no, why would you do that? That's so rigid. Uh, it's not that I always stick to it because I do fall off track sometimes. But what's fantastic about it is whenever I catch myself and say, wait a minute, am I doing, am I spending my time the way I want to be spending my time? I don't have to think about what should I be doing anymore. I just look at my calendar and it tells me exactly what I should be doing. And so that's made a really big difference for me and, and it has made me have a lot fewer of those terrible days is literally scheduling out every minute of my day. Wow. So that parallels something Covey loved to say, the ex-great Stephen Covey. It's, it's not about prioritizing your schedule. It's about scheduling your priorities. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. You know, it's funny because a lot of times I talk to people who – uh, point a finger at today's technology and say, oh, this technology is right. so distracting and so addictive and I can't get anything done. And, you know, I, if it wasn't for this damn email and damn Facebook and damn right. Slack, then I would I could be productive. And I say, you know what? That, that's a really good point. Let, let me see your calendar, right? Take out your calendar. <laughs> what did you plan to do today? Right. A and they show me their calendar and it's blank. Right? Um. <laughs> like, or there's big, huge gaps in their calendar of hours and hours of you know, get work done. Well, what yep. the hell does that mean? <laughs> so the, the rule I like to tell people is it, you cannot call something a distraction unless you know what it is distracting you from. Excellent. I love that. So you've really got to know what it is that you need to do. And then if something takes you off track, okay, that's a distraction. Yeah. But you, you, you know, you, you can't call everything a distraction unless you knew what you wanted to do instead. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. And with, uh, I, I feel bad. I keep bringing up the habit factor, but, but, it is the Habits to Goals podcast, and, and there are some parallels here. So so the idea with the habit factor was screw, for lack of a better word, your to-do list and using exactly what you said because you can control your time and energy or attention. You, for lack of a better word, use a habit list. So it's just these two or three core behaviors at the end of the day. And sometimes because people don't know when it's going to fit in, it's just about ticking it off. But, but that is very different than, than operating from a to-do list where, as you said, all sorts of extraneous factors bombard us. All right, next question. I know we, we are tight on time. Um, and this is fantastic, Nir. Thank you so much. Uh, My pleasure. Define, if you will... Give me your definition of success, sir. Ah, uh, success. That's a <laughs> tricky question. I, you know, <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard one. How do you yes. define success? I don't know if I have any kind of brilliant answer. I mean, I'll give you what first came to mind. Sure. I, I, think, I think my idea of success is freedom to work on what I want to work on. And wow. that's, 
I don't always have that freedom, but the more time that I have, uh, that's, that's the more successful I feel, right? Just the freedom. I remember my dad, my, my dad is a really smart guy and I, I really admire him. And one of uh, he, you know, a lot of things that he said kind of stick in my mind. And he, he I remember one day he, we, he told me about money and how, you know, people are rich and why, you know, I, I think I, I admired how like, Oh, I want to be rich like so-and-so. And he said, you know, what for, what's the money for? Uh, what is money? And he, and he said, you know, money is not happiness. Money is freedom. It buys you the opportunity to be free from doing things you don't want to do. So to me, success is the freedom to do what I want to do. And that whether that's being with my family, whether that's doing nothing, <laughs> whether that's right, learning. Right. I mean, I love learning. One of my favorite words is autodidact, right? A person who teaches themselves. Uh, that's what I love to do is to teach myself and my books and my writing is always about something that I'm struggling with that I want to learn. Uh, and so, and <laughs> oh so like if the fact that I, my job today is to learn things that are interesting to me and share them with others and hope that they find it interesting is, is my dream job. Well, uh, again, a crazy parallel. So yeah, I mean the entirety of the reason the habit factor exists, the reason the pressure paradox exists, I wasn't writing a book. Uh, for, for anybody other than myself to learn, teach myself, understand these ideas, these principles, and then share it. So, and and then I do that, you know, in smaller bites with, with the podcast. So, uh, wow, that's fantastic. And, and as you know, there is no right air quotes definition for success. So I love getting, uh, individual answers there. That is beautiful. Um, if you could look back and have a chat with your 20 year old ish self. <laughs> yeah. What, Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's all right. What, uh, what advice might you give him? Yeah. So, so my advice to my 20 year old self is, is pretty simple. And that is that, uh, everything is prom. Everything is prom. Let me let me explain that for a second. So I, uh, I I I remember many times in my life having. Uh, well, let me take you back here. Okay, so uh, this was 2012. Yep. Uh, I was still at, at getting my MBA, and uh, I was starting this company, Ad Nectar, with with several of my friends, and um, we were doing really well. And and there was some high stakes moment. We we were raising money, for example, from a venture capitalist fund called Kleiner Perkins, which is one of the most right. uh, prestigious venture capital funds. And I was, you know, it was really nerve wracking to, to raise money from, you know, these Silicon Valley icons like John Doerr. Uh, you know, he'd invested in, in, in every big tech company you can imagine. So I was really nervous to try and, you know, pitch this guy and ask him for millions of dollars. <laughs> and, and I remember, um, I had an executive coach at the time and he asked me to like think about other times in my life when I was nervous about something that then turned out not to be that important. And the first thing I could think about was prom. Hmm. Like when you go to prom as a high school kid, it's like a big deal, right? Like, <laughs> you know, like, who are, you, who are you going with? And, and what are you supposed to wear? And what color is the corsage? And how are you going to get there? And what are you going to do afterwards? And where are the cool kids going to be? And I remember getting like all wound up over that. And it was like looking back, it's ridiculous. Are you kidding me? You're just like shut up and have a good time. <laughs> right? Like none of it matters. But you know, the thing is, everything is prom. Everything is prom. That's... <laughs> like anything we get wound up over, everything that we make into a big deal in our life. Uh, I like this quote by Eckhart Tolle who says, who asks, are you in pain right now? Like right. literally, physically, right. like, are you in pain right. right now? Like, are you bleeding right now? If you're bleeding right now, <laughs> that's something to worry about. But short of that, like, you're just, you're just worried about the future or you're, or you're, uh, you know, obsessing about the past. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's something that I really wish I would have known earlier is that it, it doesn't mean you shouldn't take life seriously. It's that, Maybe we shouldn't always be take it so seriously. Maybe we shouldn't. Me in particular, I have a tendency to get too wound up. <laughs> yeah, right. That like none of it really matters all that much. I, I think you nailed it. It's it's both. It's it's this theme that I keep running across. It's what you do do with prom is you plan it. You spend time preparing and planning, and because it it you are nervous about it, it's worthwhile to go through those steps. But then 
it's both. It's also, it's not a big deal. <laughs> it's like, right, right. You, you know, right. so big cosmic perspective, we're just a tiny blue marble in a huge yeah. black vacuum. And like, none of it is all that important. <laughs> right. The the I can't believe you had a coach at like 20 or 22. That's incredible. <laughs> well, I was, I was running this company. And so it was, uh, I needed an executive coach. It was very helpful. <laughs> yeah, I bet it was. I'm just blown away. That's, uh, that is that is very mature. Um, so it is habits to goals. I would be, you have a habit book. I have a habit book. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, uh, for one or two of your favorite habits, your habits you are, you believe are instrumental near to your success. Please share. Well, habits that are instrumental to my success. Instead of habits, you know, habits, a lot of times get confused with routines. Habits are defined as these impulses to do a behavior with little or no conscious thought. Correct. Uh, but I would actually say that, that a lot of what I do that a lot of people call a habit is actually a routine. So for example, you know, daily exercise, that's not really a habit. That's a routine because it requires conscious thought. I mean, every morning, uh, I think about, oh, I don't really want to go to the gym today, but I do it anyway because it's a routine. Uh, every morning I write first thing in the morning. Uh, after I come back from the gym, I, I take a shower, and the first thing I do with my computer is I write. That's my sacred writing time in the morning. So I think that's, you know, it's not necessarily a habit by definition, but it is a routine that, you know, every day at a certain time and place, this is what I'm going to do, and I don't take meetings, I don't take phone calls, I just write. And so that's that's super important. If I don't do it first thing in the morning, uh, it won't get done. So I think those routines are 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 pretty, you know, very very important to us. Yeah, to and uh, beautiful. Thank you. Very important. And and I think the distinction um, is a routine involves multiple habits typically or behaviors, whereas there's just one behavior that could be a habit. Um, all right. What about a habit? You may be trying to break a habit. I'm trying to break. <laughs> well, I think I think distraction is is yeah, a habit, right? That, exactly. That when we, with little or no conscious thought, start you know checking email or googling something for just a second, or uh, you know checking Instagram or whatever. So that that's a constant source of uh, of frustration. And and I don't know if I'm ever going to conquer it completely. But the idea of becoming indistractable is to be the kind of person uh, that 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 acknowledges that there are these distractions and has a systematic approach to, uh, to, to, to controlling distraction so that distraction doesn't control us. Uh, so it doesn't mean you always win, but it means you have a systematic process to fight distraction. And, and I love that. I thought that may be the answer to that. All right, we're approaching home. I promise. This has been <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, one or two of your favorite books. Sure. So, so I think we mentioned one of them, Power of Habit. Yep. I have to acknowledge. I think that that was a great inspiration. I think another book that I really loved was, is called Addiction by Design uh, by Natasha Dow Schull, which nice. kind of talks about the the deeper reasons why we do things against our interests, why you know addiction is such a a, a big problem. Uh, she focuses specifically on machine gambling, uh, yeah. you know, like slot machines, uh, and I think it's a it's a fascinating book. Those are perfect. Thank you. It's not a fun book. It's a hard book to read. It's a, you know, it's not a self help book. It's a it's a it's a it's an academic study. Right. Yeah, but it's really I mean it's amazing how uh, how you know the, the real reason why people gamble, like how people actually compulsive gamblers don't even enjoy winning. It's not about winning. It's about being in the zone state. Uh, so there's a lot of really deep insight there. Wow. And then uh, a couple more before we let you go. Tech tool gadget, a favorite. Favorite app, website, something other than the yeah. the uh, the phone itself you can share. <laughs> sure. So, so there's a lot of tools that I use today to help me uh, limit distraction. Uh, one of my latest uh, favorite tools is a website I like so much I actually invested in the company called Focusmate. And Focusmate, remember Chat Roulette? Did you ever try Chat Roulette? I uh, did uh, where not. You, like, be connected with some random stranger, and then there started being a lot of like shady stuff going on. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, that sounds is, super is, sketchy. It's like that, but wow. for work and without all the nasty bits. So basically, what you do is you sign up for a time. You say, okay, I want to have my concentrated writing time from whatever it is, eight o'clock to nine o'clock in the morning. Yep. You're matched with another person, and then at that time, you have to show up. You see the other person's face. You say, hi, how you doing? What are you working on? Okay, go. And then for the next 50 minutes, you do your work and the uh, other person does their work. And so it's just a great 
way to bind yourself to do the thing you really want to get done. So, you know, people do their taxes, people do uh, hard work that they just need an accountability buddy to do. So I, I really like that site. Well, fantastic, Nair. I'm, I'm clapping here. Uh, <laughs> I just want to thank you so much on behalf of our listeners and myself. That has been absolutely enlightening and uh, entertaining, of course. And before I let you go, is there Obviously, we have the conference. I can hang a link out. Um, you have your new book coming. People want to learn more about you. Just yeah, anything so you'd the, like the, to promote, please share. Absolutely. The best place to go is to my website. It's called nearandfar.com. And near is spelled like my first name, N-I-R, and far.com. So nearandfar.com. And they, they can get everything from there. That's the place to go. All right, Near. Well, thank you again so much, sir. I look forward to chatting in the future. And, uh, yeah, have a terrific day. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate you having me on. Take care, bud. Thanks. Today's episode is brought to you by audible.com. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from. If there's one thing I know, and I think Jim Rohn was the one who said this originally, in five years, the difference in your life will be largely based upon two things, the books you've read and the relationships you have fostered. Doesn't it make sense to take advantage of the downtime, whether you're on the road, on a run, in the gym, kill a couple birds with one stone, get a book going, it's phenomenal. It's I, The more people I turn on to it, the more uh, compliments I get. Not that I've actually done anything. 180,000 titles to choose from. You get one free book a month, 30% off any other book. Again, check it out. AudibleTrial.com forward slash habits to goals. I'm going to say that again real quick audibletrial.com forward slash habits to goals. And that is the number two. And of course, when you support our sponsors, you are supporting the show. So thank you again. I am extremely grateful. We'll see you at the next episode.